0: Thanks, Evan, and the worship team. That was a great set. I missed you guys. Did you have a good Labor Day? Yeah? That's good. I was in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, with some friends, and uh, was able to check something off my bucket list. One of my favorite parts of American history is X the Revolutionary Period, and I had a chance to spend some time in Philly, and it was just remarkable. Ate a lot of good food and uh, just taking in the sights. And uh, good to be back and we're going to be kicking off a brand new series called Flourish, and it's just going to be four weeks uh, in this uh, series, and really looking at um, what does it mean to flourish? And perhaps in, in some vernaculars, it's, to, you know, what does it mean to be blessed? What does that look like and, and in terms of how uh, our culture uh, defines that, and then how the Bible and how God defines that, because Socrates once said that the... The aim of life is to flourish. The goal of life is to flourish. So we're going to dive deep into that for the next four weeks and define it, redefine it based on verses and stories in the Bible. And then um, in October, October 8th, I'm going to kick off a series called FAQs, uh, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. And I invite you to bring a friend to that. We're going to hit some pretty tough topics, and I can't wait for that. So that's going to be really good. Uh, as we speak, or as I'm speaking right now, rather, um, as we know, uh, Hurricane Irma is uh, sweeping across Florida. It's through the keys right now, and, there, and many of you have family, friends, or you may have a vacation home there. And I just want to take a moment and, and pray and lift up um, what's happening in our country. Let me pray. Father in heaven, just as we sang, as the night has the hold on us, you have the hold on us. You have the, the hold on us. So we depend fully upon you. And God, as uh, I just looked at my phone and, and read the, the headlines in the Star Tribune, it said, Pray for Everybody. I can't remember the last time I saw the word pray in a headline in a newspaper. It's been some time. So, God, we lift up uh, the state of Florida. Uh, right now, the people in the Keys that are there, that, God, that you would keep them safe uh, for the property, the businesses, the, the commerce. God, I would pray for your hand to be upon them. And also, uh, as it moves its uh, way up to Florida through Georgia, South Carolina, all the projections, God, uh, we turn to you. And at the same time, we realize, God, that you're a God who is transcendent, that you're above this earth, that you're above all these things and fully in control, fully sovereign. At the same time, you're imminent. Um, You are with us. It's not like you are distant away somewhere. Like this catches you by surprise, but you are actually on the ground with the people in Florida. So I pray that you come alongside them. And God, this brings a variety of questions for us. We believe that you're good. We believe that you're great. And then yet we see uh, this catastrophe. And it brings uh, questions to our minds. And God, this is the challenge of faith. This is the tension of faith. And we turn to you and depend fully upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, um, as I think, as we go through life, there's so many times where you you think that God's leading you in a certain direction. It seems like it's confirmed in a number of ways. And yet it, it, it feels like the rug is pulled from under you. You ever felt that way before? There's this funny video. My son used to watch this in high school, this video uh, on YouTube. It's just a bunch of pranks. And I want to show you, it kind of gives you an idea of uh, the rug being pulled out from under you. Let's take a look at it. <laughs> My favorite parts come up right here. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah! Clap clap that clap that neck crab. That's how uh, Chad Satri dances, and he'll do lessons later on today. And during the ministry fair, that's probably of the ministry fair. Sorry, Chad. Uh, But, you know, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? It just feels like the the, the rug's kind of pulled out from under you. But seriously, though, it it seems like, you know, in life we read the signs that seem so evident from God that as if God is is moving us in a certain direction, like his will is for us to to move in a certain direction. And And we go down that path because we sense God saying, yes, this is the path. Follow me. I am with you. And we're amazed by the doors that are open to us how God is moving, and even though we're scared, we walk through them. And it seems like God's will and his direction for our lives as we do this is confirmed by friends. Friends that are excited for us, friends that are cheering us on, and it seems a confirmation that we're headed in the right direction. And then finally, we're on board. It seems like that we got enough uh, feedback. We're on board and we throw ourselves right into going into that direction. And we have peace about this decision. It's like we, we, we kind of hum or whisper that, that chorus that, that uh, God, I have, I have peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul, down in my soul. And then all of a sudden, the rug is pulled out. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Many, if not all of you, have experienced that. In fact, you have a t-shirt that says that. Yeah, you've been through there. You've been through that. And it seems like God's direction his will was crystal clear, and then all of a sudden, the rug is pulled out. And just like we saw in that video, you hit the ground hard. Hopefully you don't have friends that are laughing at you and dancing around you, but you hit the ground hard. It's like a friend of mine, it reminded me that uh, not, not too long ago, he got the job, the, the job that he wanted. And for the company he was working it was a promotion. He had to move his, his uh, family Wife and young kids halfway across the country to take this job. And they just felt like so much this was God's will, God's direction for their lives, and they did that. And a lot of us thought, man, they're so brave and courageous. But at the same time, it felt like for them that was divinely inspired, that this was exactly what God wanted to do in their lives. And they sort of tra- uh, blazed a trail going in this direction. And they step boldly and confidently on this rug of trust and obedience. In fact, this rug seemed like sort of a, a magic carpet ride that, that they were kind of soaring through life. It was exhilarating. Things were working out for them. It seemed like life was, quote-unquote, flourishing for them. And then all of a sudden, he gets laid off, loses his job. The rug was pulled out from underneath them and left them left him absolutely at a loss, desperate, desolate, because they had moved away from their town. They lived in a num- for a number of years, family, friends, church community, to a new city where they didn't know a single soul, and then all of a sudden he lost his job. And you, some of you know exactly what that's like. And what happens is they begin asking the questions around God. And he was... He shared this this with me. He said he was asking questions of God, like, hello, God, are you there? And during that time, strangely, he felt the silence of God. The Bible talks about that at times, the hiddenness of God, that God seems to be silent. He was asking questions. God, do you mind telling me why the rug was pulled out? God, did you pull the rug out from, from under me? And what happens is that we begin to fill in the blank, don't we? I think for some of us, that's the metaphor for our lives, for a number of things, whether it's the rug being pulled out for, or for other things. We tend to fill in the blank. And we fill in the blank with, with, with thoughts or phrases that are not from God. And for him, it, he was filling the blank was like, did I do something wrong? It's my fault. Did I wrong God in some way that, that he's penalizing me, that he's, that he's punishing me and my family? We begin to fill in the blank with a bunch of different things. It was a hard time for him. But I, I think at the same time, as we look at this and think about this rug being pulled out from beneath us, that at times I think it's a bit short-sighted. As if we have the full counsel of God. That, that as if we have the, the corner on God's will. That we know exactly what his direction and what his will is for our lives. It reveals our assumptions about God and how he works, that we have total confidence on what he's going to do, that he's going to open the doors exactly the way that I want to. And I think more than that is that we believe that the doors that are open for us are going to lead to this flourishing life, how, however we define that, however our culture defines that, that we're going to live this blessed life, blessed assurance, that we're going to have peace like a, a, like a river. But for my friend, the blessed assurance flew out the window and the, the, uh, the river of, of peace dried up. I think for some of us, we've gone through it and it hits us. It hurts. It hurts us. It's like a ton of bricks. In your teaching notes, if you want to follow along, as we talk about flourishing, as we talk about this for the next four weeks, I think we've got to begin with, we've we got to avoid the mistake of assuming. Assuming we know exactly what God's will is for our lives. I have a friend who told me that, that it was God's will for them to buy an Arabian horse. Now that might be true, but do we really know exactly what God's direction is for our lives. God can open doors and he can do wonderful things. He can write new chapters for us. He can write a new story for us. We believe the words of Paul in Ephesians 3.20 that says that God will do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or imagine. Okay, that is not fiction. That's not a fairy tale. We believe that. That's the word of God. But how we define that abundance, how we define that flourishing makes a big difference. Because I think sometimes our assumption about God, what he'll do in working in our lives and doing far more abundantly than we ever ask or imagine directly relates, we believe, to his blessings. And we have a list of those blessings. Kind of like a, a list for Santa Claus. I want this, 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 this for us to flourish. We long or ex- we expect God to work the way we want to, but God often blesses us gives us a flourishing life, but it's radically different from whenever you expected. And that's what we're going to talk about, is this idea of flourishing. And I think really at the core is not only the mistake of assuming, but also the number two is this uh, expectant versus expectations. Expectant versus expectations. Because when it comes to uh, being um, expectant, as we look at the book of Matthew, for example, Je- you don't have to turn to this, but Jesus talks about in this parable these group of workers that have this uh, sense of, of an expectant life. They have this list that God is going to do this, God is going to do that. And yet what we find out, really the paraphrase of that passage is simply is, is this. It must be this. It must be now. If not, I'm picking up my marbles. I'm going home. That's my paraphrase. It's this idea of of ex, uh, expectations. Arms folded, eyes narrowed, Sorry, when our, fl- our face is closed and set, that we have these expectations that God is going to work in a certain way. Now, you take, for example, the book of Romans. Um, what we see there, what Paul talks about is having an expectant life. I misspoke earlier, so i got to redefine the terms here. But in Romans, it talks about having an expectant life. And that's where the arms are not folded. It's where it our face is not set in a certain direction. It's, it's actually having this uh, life and attitude where our arms are wide open. Where our arms are wide open. Expectancy. That God is going to do something, but we don't have expectations on what those things are going to be. That we're open to that. And I think sometimes this happens in our lives. The difference between the two is very subtle. But when it comes to expectations that we have for our kids, for example, we put them in the right schools, we feed them the right food, all organic, of course. And, and we, we bring them into the right kind of uh, uh, extracurricular activities, sports. We help them with their homework. My goodness, we write their homework for them sometimes, right? We, we do everything that seems to be right. We follow the parenting books to a T, and yet, they don't turn out the way that we want to. I was just talking to Julie Johnson this morning just about parenting um, in my own life. And, and when it doesn't turn out the way you want to, it is hard. It's like, God, I, I, you know, I thought I was going to be this way. And it gets very, very frustrating. As parents, it's very difficult because you have them when they're three or four or five years old and they grow up through their teens and then all of a sudden they start changing and you want to stop them. You want to kind of stop the clock. You want to keep them at four foot five and about 90 pounds or whatever. You want to stop it because they're starting to change and morph in a way that you don't really like and, and, and it's going against everything that, that you wanted and, and that you and your spouse wanted. Yes. We want to really live a life that is expectant, that God is going to do something and to have our arms wide open. And we see this in a number of ways um, throughout the Bible. And oftentimes where Jesus over and over would, would, would say, to really have this life of um, being ex- expectant is being open to what I'm doing. Follow me, trust me. There'll be much trouble, but trust me, I'm going to lead you. It's kind of like a story that I, I Remember that a Sunday school teacher, he's teaching this class of seven year olds. And he asked the students uh, to pull a piece of paper and, and a pencil. Um, and, he want, and he shared the gospel, how to accept Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. And he had him write down a piece of paper. Now, if, if you want to do that, if you want to take that step, as he said to these seven year olds, uh, just write down your piece of paper I accept Jesus. And most of the kids did that. But there was this one seven-year-old boy. It's always the boys, right? It's always the boys. And this one boy, he muddled it. Instead of saying, I accept Jesus, he said, I expect Jesus. I love that. Instead of expecting things, instead of expecting God to work in a certain way, instead of expecting God to do this or that, to actually just expect God. Have arms that are wide open expectations that God is going to do something beautiful, amazing in our lives. Even when you lose your job, even when you move your, co- your family uh, halfway across the country, that even in the midst of challenge and struggle, that God is going to do something. They have expectations that are so wide open and open to what God might do. And as he brings you down detours that you never thought you would travel before, that you believe that God is good and God is great what I want to do is do a study of contrast, two stories, where we see the sort of expectations versus expectant. And we see this in in Mary, mother of Jesus, and also in Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. So if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at uh, Mary and her story. It's a remarkable story. Oftentimes, well, it seems like the only time we we talk about uh, Mary is the time of, Uh, advent and christmas and and we go to the gospel of luke and read this but in uh, luke chapter one verses 26 through 38 we read about mary and what is going to happen to her because she has a major life change i mean you talk about a detour in your life this is incredible detour Luke chapter 1, verse 26, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you want to follow along with your app or from your, uh, the slides, feel free. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's her cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, like all of us would be. If an angel showed up at your doorstep and started talking to you, you would be confused and disturbed, right? Yeah, what's he selling? Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. We see that so many times. Don't be afraid. By the way, in most translations, don't be afraid is mentioned 365 times in the Bible. It's almost like every day we have this this statement from God. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34 Mary asked a very, very typical question in terms of biology How does this work? Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. I mean, she knows the birds and bees, right? How can this happen? The angel replied, "The Holy Spirit will come, up, come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she was conceiv But she has conceived a son, and is now in her sixth month. The angel is saying this. He's saying miracles happen. Miracles, miracles can happen." For the word of the Lord will never fail. Or the word of God will never fail. You may want to underline that in your Bible. I love that. For the word of God will never fail. Will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servants. Her her arms were wide open. She didn't have um, this attitude of uh, being expectant, that God had to do certain things in her life. This is a major change in her life. Her arms are open to expectations that God is going to do something, even in the midst of this detour, that God is going to do something. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And let's move down to the the Magnificat. This is the famous song, poem of uh, Mary, her song of praise. It says in verse 46, "'Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior.'" For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. So what we see in Mary is this this really this uh, life of, of just being open to what God wants to do. And then we see in verses seventy six and seventy seven she says this too. And she's she's talking to, to the, the baby in her womb. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. You see, her life is just open. The, this wasn't her will this this wasn't the direction that she she saw of course in her life and and oftentimes we see these beautiful pictures of mary and 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 it's so beautiful it's sort of norman rockwell ish and everything seems really nice between you know with her and baby jesus but you need to understand this woman lived a very difficult life a very scandalous life probably didn't go in public very often because there's the rumor of who's the father And she's very young, 13, 14, maybe 15 years of age. This is a very hard journey for her. And yet, she's open to what God is going to do. To live the flourishing life is for you to open your arms up wide, put the list away, and say, God, I'm your servant. I'm willing to follow you wherever you take me. And even though I head in a certain direction, you might detour that, and I'm going to follow you. It's more important for me to have trust and, and obedience in you than it is for me to have my agenda, my itinerary. And these words right here, these are very important. I never realized this until this past week. Mary becomes the first Christian. Think about it. She's the first one. She recognizes that in her womb is the Messiah. She's the first one. And she impacts lives to this day. It's amazing. Now, another person, a study in contrast, that actually lived a few miles from Nazareth is a guy named Jonah in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at his story in Jonah chapter 1. A far different sort of uh, life that Jonah's living in terms of uh, when God tells him to do something or God's leading in a certain direction. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 3 in Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against because I have seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went, what? In the opposite direction. You see, he had this attitude of, of being expectant that there's certain things that God would not do and would do. And what he would not do is actually give these Ninevites a chance at salvation. That God would actually give them an opportunity to, to have a relationship with him. See, the Jonah was closed off. He had this, this view uh, of the people of God being very exclusive. The Ninevites, really, on the outside, it's us. And those Ninevites are them. So for Jonah, he had a certain view, a certain uh, worldview, and, and God's sort of violating that. So he goes down to the port of, of Joppa where he found a ship living, leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on a board hoping to escape from the Lord, okay? Which is always interesting to me. Like, Jonah's going to escape from God. I mean, how do you do that? Where do you go? It's kind of like Adam and Eve, you know. They're, they're, the figs leave, fig leaves and they're, they're trying to hide from God. It seems like an impossible thing, but uh, anyways, I always find that humorous. But then we down, move down to Jonah chapter 4. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. And what he's angry at is God's mercy being extended to the Ninevites. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? He's reminding God, I knew you would do this. And in a way, Jonah, he, he's feeling like the rug is being pulled out from under, under him. It's like, God, what are you doing? These are evil, wicked people. What are you doing? You're giving them a chance. You're giving them the same thing that we have. They don't deserve it. And it's like the rug being pulled out from under Jonah. Just like Mary, same thing. The rug was pulled out from under her at a young age. And the responses are amazing. It's a study in contrast. Verse 3, comes, I mean, this is how desperate he is. Just kill me now. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. It's an amazing difference. Here, I want to break this down in your teaching notes. Four things. Four, four things that we can take away from Mary and Jonah in this uh, study of contrast. First of all, Mary welcomed God's direction in her life for the benefit of all people. Think about it. She, she welcomed God's direction for the benefit of all people. You read her words, she has this long view That what's going to happen, even though the rug seems to be pulled out from under uh, under her, that human history is going to change. Read her words in in Luke chapter 2. Jonah avoided it for the benefit of his comfort. We just have two different perspectives, two different worldviews, two different ways of doing life. Two, I would say, ways of defining flourishing. And Mary sees this in terms of depending fully upon God as really essential to the flourishing life. Her life centered on the best interests of God. Jonah's life centered on his own best interests. I mean, I, just, I read that, I'm so uh, reminded how often that, for me, it's my best interests. God, I, I think this should happen, or God, you know, this sort of thing needs to occur in, in the timing that I want because it would suit my best interests. It, w- it would make my, my life, my schedule a lot easier. God, why don't you do that? And I'll throw out some Bible verses and, and, and say, you know, God, you can do far more abundantly than I can ever ask or imagine. You can do this. And oftentimes when God, re- I really slow down enough that God reveals that really all I care about is me. There's this ethnocentric worldview. It's all about me. It's about my world. It's about the way I want to do life. And that is not flourishing. Flourishing is exactly what Mary is doing when she centers her life on the best interests of God. Next, Mary gave up herself for the sake of people. Jonah gave up the future of people for his own sake. He didn't care about those lives. Think about that. He wanted to die. God, kill me. Kill me before you save these Ninevites. He didn't care anymore about the the future of those lives. You can imagine something like that. Next, Mary obediently followed God at great personal cost. Jonah avoided God for personal gain. Mary obediently followed God at great personal cost. Jonah avoided God for personal gain. How many of us, that is like our uh, epitaph right now sort of in, in our lives. Maybe it's the fill-in-the-blank that really all we care about is avoiding God. We don't talk to God deeply. It's, it's more, you know, um, cursory prayers, which are fine, but we don't go very deep because we're afraid that God's actually going to do something and ask us to do something that we really don't want. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to violate our own personal direction and gain. So as we think about Mary and Jonah, as we talk about... Really, this, this, this whole idea of flourishing, I want to end it with the, the last fill in the blank. It's really a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. Now, I know the younger people um, in our congregation do not like the word, right? Obedience. It's a bad word. It's the O word. Obedience. It sounds rigid. It sounds like uh, my, my uncle, who doesn't listen to these podcasts, by the way, so I can say this, uh, he was a principal in a middle school in Bloomington for about 30 years. This is a great uncle, but uh, we'd have our case Christmas party there for a number of years in the cafeteria. And right there in the cafeteria, and, and students, you may be able to relate to this as well, some of us, he had a list of 25 rules in the cafeteria. And I just pulled my aside. I said, Uncle Tim, how, there's no way they're going to remember all these. We said, well, it's got to happen. We're going to have all these rules. And I think when it comes to obedience, we see it that way. That to obey God, there's a list of rules, and we have to follow them exactly the way God says. The Ten Commandments, or whatever you want to— the Great Commission, the great Greatest Commandment, whatever you want to use. But I like how Rick Warren defines obedience. It's this. It's trust—or excuse me, it's love plus trust plus action. It's love it's plus trust plus action. It's centered. It begins with love, obedience— Obedience is not the sort of military-ish sort of obedience like that with God. It is centered in love. We do what God wants to do in our lives. We we open our arms to him because we love God. We love God. And sometimes we have a hard time perhaps in loving God. And that's where he comes alongside. He helps us. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, if you said yes to Jesus, helps us to, to love God. But that's where obedience starts. It's to love God. It's like what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you, obey, if you love me, obey my commands or obey my commandments. And I like how one writer comments on this. He says, obedience comes from knowing that God loves you and you love him in return. Starts with love. And then from there, it moves into Trust. Because trust really is, is an expression of love, and trust is at the, at the baseline of all relationships. And it's where, where, with trust, you have to be vulnerable for trust to happen. You've you got to be transparent. You've got to open up your life and, and trust God and that he has your best interests in mind and, and, and is going to direct you and lead you um, in the path that he wants. It's to trust God fully. I want to ask you this morning, Maple Grove Covenant Church, do you trust God to the point where you're you're entirely vulnerable, where you're like like, like Mary. I am your, your servant. I am your servant. Then lastly, it moves into action. Because it can't just be love and trust. Obedience is action. And we see that in Mary. She obeys. She follows through all the way. We see here in the Gospels, all the way from the birth of Jesus, raising him, and then there she's at the cross. And then even after her son is, is killed on the cross and is miraculously resurrected, and then 40 days later ascends to heaven, then we find her in the upper room, that she's part of this core group planting this church in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, and becomes one of the leaders of the church. And it actually becomes a very helpful source for Luke as he writes his gospel. She had a big influence. So, so she acted on that. She kept on going the direction that God wanted for her life. It's love. It's trust. It's action. You know, we are offering um, a number of Bible studies this fall. We're going to be announcing a Bible study for our women and also our guys. And, and we have community groups. And we have uh, a great Bible study that we do in adult ed called Life Hour at 9 o'clock. I encouraged you to, to come to that. And Just an aside, my opening prayer about God being transcendent and imminent actually came from our lesson this morning on God's holiness. It's a great class. I encourage you to come at 9 o'clock. Um, but what I love about this love and trust and action when it comes to God is this obedience that occurs. And for us, as the people of God, to say, you know what, for me, in, in, in and have a life of flourishing— it's a matter of obedience. It's not cars. It's not homes. It's not big bank accounts. God may, may give that to you, but that is not the definition of a flourishing life. A flourishing life is where you are obedient and dependent upon God. I love how Warren says this. We want intelligence. God wants obedience. We want confidence. God wants dependence. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we want to live a life of expectations to be open to you where our arms are wide open that you are going to do incredible amazing things in our lives God help us not to assume God help us to really have this This attitude that we see, for example, in Mary of expectations open to you, what you want to do with her life. And then, God, also for us really to obey, where it's love, it's trust, it's action. And as we do this, God, that your kingdom would be known wherever we are, in our schools, in our colleges, in our dorm rooms, in our homes, in our neighborhoods that we live a certain way, we orient our, our lives in a certain way, that as we go through life, when the rug seems to be pulled out from underneath us, that people around us are watching. And they see you. They see your grace. They see your power. They see your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.